Welcome in to episode number 16 of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. This may be the biggest episode yet. I have six people who are truly doing amazing things in comedy featured on this episode of the show. Coming up in in just a bit, I have the three founders of Comedy Gives Back. Comedy Gives Back is an amazing nonprofit organization. Uh, they're, they're helping comedians through tough times. They've done so many amazing things throughout the pandemic to, to help comedians. They provide mental health, medical, and crisis support to people in the industry. It's an amazing organization, and it's a great conversation I had with them about the start of Comedy Gives Back, what, what the future of Comedy Gives Back looks like, and everything in between. So I hope you stick around for that. But right now i had the opportunity last week to do media at the emmy awards it was very exciting it was my first emmy awards it was so fun to be on the red carpet and virtually be in the press room uh, talking to all the big stars uh, as they came through after they won their awards it was amazing uh, so i want to share a couple clips from from that experience with you if i could First off, I got to speak to Lorne Michaels. What else can I say? Lorne Michaels created SNL. He's a comedy legend, produced so many amazing comedy movies. He was super nice, so fun to talk to. I got to tell him that Lorne is nominated this year for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. He had a very funny response. Uh, and then I got to ask him a question that I've been kind of dying to ask him. It was a silly question, but he gave me a great answer and I appreciate it. Here's my very short conversation with the great Lorne Michaels. I'm mm. I, I'm not in it. You're not in it yet, Lauren. You're okay. not in it yet. You, you have to apply. And, yeah. and nobody else. So. They take um, a long time, Canadians. Yeah, oh yeah, we were yeah. very slow. Yeah. Uh, my question, um, in, and this happens, uh, people people wondering all the time. Um, so I want to know who does the best Lauren impression. Oh, God. Um, just about everybody who's ever come to the show had one. <laughs> Dana Carvey had a really good one. Uh, and I think Mike Myers used some of that. And he was doing it. Um, Mark McKinney had a good one, just to go local. Mark McKinney, of course, he was a writer on SNL, but more known up here in the North as a cast member on Kids in the Hall. That was cool. Lorne Michaels answered my question. He actually put some thought into my silly question. I appreciated the heck out of talking to a legend like Lorne. There was other Canadian legends there at the Emmys as well, like Martin Short. He didn't come through the press room, but John Oliver did, and he was very excited to meet some comedy legends. No, I didn't. I got here just, we got stuck in traffic, so I very nearly missed the start of the show. Then we ran in to sit down. Uh, then everything was a bit of a blur. We, I couldn't hear where, uh, from back where we, so when it was announced, I thought someone else had won. Then my staff started getting up, and I thought, oh, I guess I should go with them. Then I met Steve fucking Martin, and everything left my mind, to be honest. I've never met him before, so I totally blanked after. <laughs> I had Martin Short coming at me with one of these, which is already weird. And then to have Steve Martin behind him is very strange. If you grew up loving comedy to a genuine character fault, as I did, that is a pretty staggering moment. So yeah, my head was blank after that. My, my wife, her favorite film is Clifford, Martin Short's Clifford. So yeah, she is very excited that I got to meet Martin Short. <laughs> I love that clip. I just love the joy of John Oliver. 
meeting a legend like Martin Short. Even when you've been in the industry and you've won as many Emmys as John Oliver has, he won one for Best Variety Talk Show at this year's Emmys uh, for his show last week tonight with John Oliver. That's the name of the show. But John Oliver's joy of meeting Martin Short was just as equal to my joy of meeting Lauren Michaels. So that so that was great to see Canadian legend get a little bit of due in the press room at the Emmys. And finally. Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso won a bunch of awards. It's, it's a great show, but I like how Jason speaks in this clip about writing and, and, and kind of honoring his hometown in his work. And we see that with Canadian comedians all the time, honoring their home country when they're doing big things in the States. So uh, not a Canadian, not much to do with Canada with this clip, but it was really cool to hear Jason uh, Sudeikis talking about honoring his hometown of Kansas City. Oh, gosh, I don't think I'm the one to put it on the map. I think, you know, the, the Royals and the Chiefs and, and Charlie Parker and <laughs> Janelle Monet and Don Cheadle and uh, many, many other artists and people uh, far greater than myself have added to that uh, knowledge. But but much what we talked about, you know, Bill and Joe and Brent and I like early on was that the collective wisdom of the character and the show was was a culmination of the people creating it. And so, you know, being someone that that that, that had um, you, you know, a lot of like influence on that. Kansas City was just uh, is is part of my soul. It's it's where I'm from. It's where I where I was raised. It's where my my folks live, and and where a lot of good and bad things have happened um, to me and many other people. And so it's just it had to be in there. And so just just like the experiences that other people brought from their hometowns, it's just this one we you know we 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 have stemming from. Uh, Kansas City from back home. I love hometown pride. I'm all about hometown pride and home country pride. So that was very cool from Jason Sudeikis. Thanks to the Television Academy for having me and my little podcast, being able to uh, do media at the Emmys. I hope you enjoyed the clips that I gathered from Lauren Michaels and John Oliver and Jason Sudeikis. I uh, got to talk to many, many other stars there, but I could only was allowed to put in so much into this show. So there it is. my The clips I chose from my time at the Emmys. Uh, just to give you a quick rundown of the comedy winners at this year's Emmys. Uh, Ted Lasso won for Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding Variety Talk Series, like I said, John Oliver from last week tonight with John Oliver. Outstanding Variety Sketch Series, why Lauren Michaels was speaking to me is because they because Saturday Night Live won that award. In the acting category, Jason Sudeikis won Outstanding Lead Actor. In a comedy series, Gene Smart for Hacks, one outstanding lead actress in a comedy series. Outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series was Brett Goldstein, who had a very funny, uh, he had a very funny press conference in the media room. And outstanding supporting actress, one of the best acceptance speeches I have ever heard was Cheryl Lee Ralph for the amazing show Abbott Elementary. And the final comedy award of the night was uh, for outstanding writing in a comedy series, and that was uh, Quinta Brunson for the amazing show that's on ABC, Abbott Elementary. So that's it, that's the Emmys recap. Let's get on to the interview, and it was a great interview this week. I was very, very happy to speak to these uh, three amazing people who are doing amazing things, and it's Jody Lieberman, it is Amber J. Lawson, and it is Zoe Friedman of Comedy Gives Back. Comedy Gives Back is a phenomenal organization that helps comedians when they are struggling and in need with all kinds of resources. They can provide uh, mental health help, they can uh, medical and crisis support. 
they're amazing. They, they help so many comedians during the pandemic and they, they do awesome things. Uh, I encourage you to check out their website, comedygivesback.com. And if you can make a donation, all the money you donate goes to uh, helping the artists that you love. I hope you enjoy it and you learn more about the amazing organization that is Comedy Gives Back. So here it is. My interview with Zoe Friedman, Amber J. Lawson, and Jody Lieberman on the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. Together, collectively, we're jazz. Jody, Amber J., and Zoe. I love that. Yes. So, uh, jazz hands. Jazz hands. Uh, yes, hands. <laughs> so, I am, well, I was going to say I'm the performer of the group, but Zoe did have a brush with stardom herself as a child. Uh, to be a and- child actor, yeah. Your headshot. It, what deli was it in? Uh, it used to hang in New York City on the Upper West Side at a place called the Burger Joint, and it was a local-owned uh, guy, Nick, this Greek guy, and he was our it was Nick right the Greek. Nick, <laughs> yeah, and he would have all the soap opera stars and Mason Reese and all these like you know act New York actors. And I was like, oh, it's my dream to be hung up there one day. And the minute I got my headshot, I sent it. They hung it. It was in the first booth before it was demolished like a couple years back. Like, you know, it's gone now. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so I digress. Go ahead. <laughs> I started at three, tap dancing to the good ship lollipop. And from there, skyrocketed in international fame. I I uh, I got a degree in musical theater from the University of Missouri with John Hamm and Melanie Paxson Moore. And uh, I was at Second City in Chicago. She convinced <laughs> me to go to Second City or to, to Chicago from college, which was good because I was a wild child and needed to sow some wild oats. And um, came out to Hollywood a couple of years later. And, you know, all my friends, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, all the the sketch people started uh, becoming regulars on all the things. I was more of a stage performer at the time. I was nominated for a GLAAD award very early on, but I couldn't stand not being in control. (laughs) (laughs) And so I became, I went to Sundance one year. I did a weekend like how to make a how to make a film workshop and put on a hat called producer and off I went and the rest is history (laughs) there you go Jody what about you you're you're Canadian right you are from Montreal I am born and raised in Montreal so as a child I was a big um child of the 80s growing up with all those probably terrible sitcoms now that I loved like three's company and too close for comfort and give me a break and different strokes. And I wanted to work in television. I wasn't really, I didn't really have any influences in terms of stand-up comedy. You know, I'd go to my local club as a teenager, you know, once a while, once in a while um, to see comedy, but then I fell into Just for Laughs. I started to work at Just for Laughs in my last year of university and ended up running the festival for many years. And while I was there, I learned so much about the art of stand-up and realized it was really an art and 
really respected these people who did what they did getting on, on, on a stage with no safety net, making a room full of strangers laugh. And I really started to respect so many comics and, you know, really loved, you know, at the beginning, I loved Jon Stewart and Ellen DeGeneres. And I remember watching Star Search and seeing all the comics there and, and really falling in love with it. So that's how I got into the comedy business. But I can't say I had like one you know, influence that really led me there other than, you know, watching sitcoms of the 80s and 90s. Zoe, did, did you have an influence that uh, that got you started? Well, maybe, but I just want to say one thing I just want to say about Jody, which she and I share is our love of TV, because Jody tells me like when she used to sit with the TV guide and go through and like pick her schedule. Now you're probably too young to make any sense of all that. Oh, I used to do the same thing. Okay. So, and I just want to say on my, so kind of full circle to my headshot when I was nine, on the back, it's like your name, your birth date. And it's like, I think they had favorite subject, right? Like, I don't know, like to give yourself some personality. And I put TV <laughs> as my favorite subject. I mean, I, my dad took me to tapings when I was a kid and I got to see like taxi and like, you know, things um, be shot. And I got a peek behind the curtain and I wanted in. And I'll tell you the actual influence in sort of, so apart from my parents starting the first comedy club in America in 1963. So I was, um, you know, immersed in it from day one. I will tell you that first spark was when I was in the audience of David Letterman's first morning show. He had a failed short-lived morning show in like 1980. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad was in town. It was filmed in New York. I was living in New York. My dad lived in LA. He was in New York uh, for his like annual fall visit. And he's like, there's this new show with this young hot comic, David Letterman. And he got tickets and he dragged my sister and I wherever. Like we would go, we must've lived a super adult life. Like, I, I mean, whatever. So we would go and I sat in the, the, I was actually in the front row of this crazy morning show, which was canceled like three weeks later or something very short lived. And I said, I don't know what this is, but I want in. I had a spark and I was like, this is so crazy and it's familiar and yet it's not. It was a morning show. It was, I loved late night. I used to watch like Carson with my grandma, you know, like. It, that was it, man. And I was in, and I was an intern at Letterman, fortunately, because I have, I'm a nepotistic, you know, legacy in this business. I didn't stay because I'm, I'm a legacy. I got in with my, my legacy and I stayed with a lot of hard work. I worked at Letterman for 11 years. I was talent receptionist for two of them and I booked stand up. So, but my early childhood influences of comedy from the improv were like uh, Andy Kaufman. Right. The best, the yeah. best for a kid. Like, He's so imaginative and it was, you know, lip sync battle meets, you know, um, you know, mass singer. He was awesome. He was just so creative. And he used to host children's cabaret at the improv, uh, which was like a, a, a showcase for young performers. I think they made it for me so I could perform. And you know, they all had all the Broadway, like Annie came and sang and Danielle Bouzbois, who went on to be in Archie's place, you know, anyway. So um, he used to, Andy Kaufman would host these children's cabaret and he would give us choices. Do we want Mr. Mean who turned into Tony Clifton, the foreign man who turned into Latka or Elvis. And the audience would get, these kids would get to choose what costume, who would host. And then he would like bond, bunny hop us around Times Square. I mean, I, the, the comedy I've seen, I, I mean, that was amazing. You know, 
you know, I love creative, weird comics. So I love, I love observational comics too. I love Mitch Hedberg. Um, yeah. You know, I, I love a weirdo Dimitri Martin. Um, I love, I, I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedy fan number. That's it. I'm fan first. I work. It's our hobby. That's how we all got together. You know, because comedy is, that's where we met in 2011, Jody and Amber J walked up to me at the improv in LA and said, do you think comedy can change the world? And I was like, how much time do you have? Like, let's <laughs> down. I mean, I had so many thoughts on this. Nobody had ever asked me. And in reflection, as you get older and you see what your life is, comedy was like my, it was my career at that point. I was at comedy. I just left comedy central it was my career. It was my hobby. It's sort of how I met my husband. He took a stand-up class with a good friend of mine because he was a very funny writer. So it's like the hub. And um, they said, like, how can we change the world? And I was like, yeah, it's everything to me. It's my health. It's my wealth. It's my connection and relationship. And, you know, nine years later, Overnight Sensation, we have Comedy Gives Back where we, you know, pivoted into a nonprofit, but we started you know, doing anyway, that's, that's, that's another thing. So thank God you're in a mathematician because it's 11 years later, 11 years. Sorry. <laughs> Your website says 2010. So I don't It was probably 2010. I it think was. so. No, yeah. It was 2011. It should always, oh, we be. had our first show in 2011. I think yeah. we started yeah. talking about that. All right. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's debatable when we start. You know, we've all it, we've all known each other for a very long time. Right. Zoe and I met years ago when she was at Letterman, and I was at Just for Laughs and talent scouting, and you know, swapping stories about up and coming comics and who do you think is great and who do you want to book at Just for Laughs and who do you want to book on Letterman? Who should I come up and see at Just for Laughs? You know, like I was trying to book comics and get like network debuts, and so we kind of had our kind of good back channeling and such, you know, of it all. And uh, yeah, that was fun. Anyway. <laughs> Do, does comedy give back? Do you guys have like one meeting or or one goal from that initial kind of sit down to, to see kind of where, where it's blossomed from there? What was the initial kind of, uh, of idea uh, yeah, of comedy uh, gives back? Our intention was to raise the vibration of the planet through laughter. And how we were doing that was comedy, charity, and technology. digital technology. or technology, right? And our... So comedy and charity have been together for a long, long time, obviously. We were broadening the scope by leveraging technology and in particular live streaming, which little did we know would set us up for 2020. But in 2011, we did our first show, which was three cities, New York, Chicago, and LA, which we live streamed in 2011. So you can imagine how hard that was. It was like, <laughs> beep, boop, boop, boop. I mean, we were right, really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like that. <laughs> we had no money and we like MacGyvered it and our stream didn't work from one of the basements in Chicago. We had to like boost it. Yeah, we and then in 2013, we did it again and we did a 24 hour global digital telethon, which we were raising money for other nonprofits. We were using the power of laughter in order to raise awareness for other mm -hmm. causes. And we would raise money. We got nominated for an Emmy that year. It was very exciting. Of course, television came and knocking. And we were wooed and swooned by the television world and got stuck in development hell. At t yeah, right, wherever. But 
But then we realized all these comedians kept saying yes to doing these shows. And, you know, they're not really impacted by like malaria, you know, where we were eradicating or a Haiti water project. I mean, they're all valuable, important uh, causes. And the comics would say yes. And they said yes for a number of reasons, because between all of us, we've given, you know, started careers of, you know, many top performers. You know, they say yes because they feel we're part of their story and they're loyal to us. They say yes, because you know a, a fundraiser comes with a good audience. It's a symbiotic relationship. They need an audience. We need a performer or whatever. They have a free night and they're in town. Then we kept saying like, oh my God, but who's taking care of the comics? And that's when we shifted, when um, we realized that there are a lot of organizations doing all these projects. Again, very valuable, uh, Feeding America, all of those but nobody's supporting the comedians. And then you look around at other artist groups, right? And you look around at other artist groups and you see Music Cares and you see Actors Fund and you say, and where do comics fall in there? Because unless you're a comedian who makes the leap to a producer guild or a writer's guild or a director's guild, you don't have any support. You, you, you know, uh, comedians are challenged, maybe individuals on their own, just in terms of like their, you know, functioning, but they live just their lifestyle is very challenging and it's a choice they've made. So it's not like the, but sometimes things work out and sometimes don't, and sometimes you need it. So that's when we made this pivot in 2018 and 2019 to take care of our community and we did our first fundraiser as our own 501c3. So we were no, we became our own nonprofit to support mm -hmm. comedians. We did our first fundraiser in 2019. We were opening our doors in January 2020 to start giving grants similar to like music cares. Like, hey, I'm a comic, my car broke down and I have a big road tour. And if I don't do that, then I, you know. So we fixed the car, we pay the mechanic again, much like what music cares does and actors funds. And then pandemic hit. And we we came back to our roots, Chad, and did a an eight hour live streamed digital telethon on April fourth, twenty twenty, three weeks after the world shut down, and comics lost all access to their income. Everybody, it was a great equalizer. Every comic now, a Kevin Hart and a Howie Mandel can live certainly without performing in the clubs or being on the road, a lot of comics can't. And we mm -hmm. went into action with great support from um, Starbird's Audio. And uh, he that was the start of it in Spotify. And we made it an audio, even though it was a video thing, we didn't do a lot of stand-up. We kind of branded it like Bert and, you know, um, Bill Burr doing their podcast. And because it's such a, anyway, and all things comedy. And then we raised Money. We started giving grants out on April 5th. We've given over a thousand pandemic relief grants. We're now back kind of moving out of that chat and now starting to, to return to our original vision. So if you're a comedian who is in need or has hit on hard times and has fallen behind in their rent or medical bills have piled up or, hey, I'm about to lose my health insurance and I have a COBRA offer, could you pay for the COBRA offer? Those are all like under our financial crisis relief grant program and applications come in. We have a committee that approves them. And if you're a qualifying uh, comedian that fits the criteria, you get some amount of money. And we have criteria based on industry standard and other organizations that do similar support work. And then we have mental health, which is, you know, really in the heart of what we do. You know, there is so much mental health um, 
uh, emergencies or uh, that's not it, but you know, like mental health is a uh, health, right? Mm -hmm. And Canadians don't have a lot of times the best insurance or any insurance. So we connect to to mental health therapy, and we've also resourced and paid for three comedians to go through chemical dependency treatment, residential. Um, and, and I just want to speak to how we've serviced the industry in creating awareness and tools and services in order to create awareness, to create a safety net, and to spot when someone is depressed or suicidal or needing one of our services. So it's one of our missions. Uh, we host a day called Laughing for Good. The Instead of doing, uh, what is it, Giving Tuesday after Thanksgiving in America, right? Or Black, there's Black Friday, there's Giving Tuesday, there's Cyber Monday. Well, we are Laughing for Good Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and which resonated more for us, where our intention is that all clubs unite for one day and laugh for good, that they donate a portion or all of their proceeds to Comedy Gives Back. But as another piece of that is in each of the clubs, we have in the green rooms, the breakdown of our services, how to contact us, how to leverage the tools and resources that comedy gives back supplies. And if you're a comedian in need of help, email help at comedygivesback.com and somebody will, you will have a, it will be discreet. It will be uh, within 24 hours. And also everybody should know if you are struggling with any mental health or have anybody in your world that is, there's a new hotline number. You no longer have to do a 10 digit number. It is 988. 988 is a national suicide crisis hotline. And it, let me just be very clear. We've done a lot of education around this that we've learned that you can call that number if you're feeling blue. You can call that number if you have a friend who's not being responsive to your emails or feeling down and you don't know how to support them. That is what they are there for. It is, it is not only suicide crisis. They do that too. They will you know, get help immediately to somebody. They, will, they are there 24 seven um, and they will help you in a lot of different scenarios. I think that's important to know. I think that was an aha moment for us because we are partners with Dee Dee Hirsch um, which, mental health services, which is a Los Angeles based, um, suicide prevention, uh, mental health service organization. And they've, we've learned a lot from them. And I also want to say that we're doing a suicide, uh, prevention training comedy wide industry on October 7th. So September is suicide awareness, uh, and prevention month. And we're doing it at the beginning of October, but it is offered for, to every, agent, every manager, every uh, road manager, every club employee who touches comedians appropriately uh, to uh, have this training. So it's a little like things to watch, signs to watch, how to do it, you know, anyway. So we're trying to create this kind of lack of stigma around that. I think, I think we got off topic. We just keep talking, Chad. No, I, no, that's another thing that I want yeah, to say. Go we ahead, also have dude. a partner. Sorry. We also have a partnership with BetterHelp, which is mm. an online mental health therapy where they match you with therapists. So it is international. And even though we are US-based, we have given our grants to Canadians. So all the Canadians that are listening, it's not just for American comics, it's Australian Canadian comics. Canadians. And we also yeah. 
are going out to all the comedy clubs in Canada from the Yuck Yucks to the Absolutes to the Comic Strip. Um, and we want their support as well. Better, better help is great. I've used it myself. It's, it's amazing. As somebody that spends um, multiple nights a week in comedy clubs, getting up on stage myself, you, you see like how sometimes it can, just the profession itself can lend to maybe mental health problems. It's very solace sometimes, especially when somebody's on the road without family for uh, months or weeks on, on time. Where did you guys see the gaps kind of uh, in that world as a, pertaining to mental health? What what gaps did you uh, identify that, that you would like to see fixed or changed in the industry? Great question. I would say like asking and reaching out for help. Comedians chose a career to be solitary on stage, you know, and then reaching out and and, uh, being comfortable with asking for help is, and something, by the way, when we've helped comedians and we say, hey, would you be comfortable doing a testimonial? And they're like, no, 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 I need to keep this private. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But there's so much shame in asking for help. And I think that's a big gap just in general. And I will say that I think pandemic and quarantine has sort of leveled the playing field around that. Like, I think everybody is comfortable talking about their mental health these days because it is like a, in real life, whack-a-mole, you know, has been going on for two years. You know, you come up for air and you get, oh, the the new variant, oh, I come up for air, oh, somebody died over here, you know. <laughs> so um, I think people come to for help more. I think there is a gap though in reaching out and asking, but I also have a good experience with better help too, Chad. Also, what else, guys? Where are the gaps? And I also I also think that comedians weren't recognized as artists. And I feel like mm-hmm. that has changed over the last couple of years. And, you know, artists are protected, you know, with with their unions and musicians are protected. And there's the, you know, music cares for musicians, there's the actor funds for actors. And if you're a comic and you're a working comic, you're a road comic, you don't have access to that. And I feel like we're trying to bridge that. And, you know, we're not an insurance health exchange yet. I don't know if we're gonna go there, but we wanna at least give them the tools and the resources to know how to go about getting insurance and that makes sense have all these things that we could offer them one person that that we lost in 2018 i believe was brody stevens can you guys talk about what brody means to your organization now and all the events and stuff centered around his legacy um and and his life i will speak to that when brody passed it was a watershed moment in our industry especially that Brody was such a outspoken spokesperson for mental health and where he was at any time on his mental health journey. And when he passed, it was a a coming together of the industry of we have to step up and shift this. And so one of the things that comedy gives back is and does is a hub when when there is crisis in our community where we can come together. Nobody has to set up a whole new nonprofit or it needs to, to worry where the money's going, but that we can all come together as community. And what's unfolded since is we, we celebrate Brody's day, which is, you know, 818, 818. That was the area code from where he's from, right? 
Yeah, correct. correct. Yeah. And August 18th is now Brody Stevens Day in Los Angeles and was declared this on 818. We went to the valley, which let me tell you, you need to hydrate for. Uh, and the councilmen of the of the valley presented the proclamation of the 818 day. And there was an unveiling of this amazing, beautiful mural and Brodyisms, as well as his, there's a bench at the Reseda Park. He's from Reseda. Reseda talks about Reseda a lot, 818, the Valley. And, uh, and we, as Comedy Gives Back, are the beneficiary and partner with them throughout, A, the creation of this. There's also a comedy night at the Comedy Store every year, remembering, celebrating Brody, but also bringing to the surface that uh, we don't have to be alone. You don't have to do it alone, no matter what you are going through. Now, Comedy Gives Back gets to be the official safety net of the comedy community. Um, what, what kind of reach does Comedy Give Back have in Canada specifically? I had a joke and it was very dirty. I'm going to just shut my mouth. <laughs> dirty jokes are allowed on this show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to well, answer. Yeah. Well, we just did Just for Laughs was right. gracious enough. Oh, we just no. did three shows at Just for Laughs that Comedy Gives Back was the beneficiary of. So, you know, we're out there in the comedy community. We were there in Montreal. Um, we've had conversations with various clubs throughout Canada and we want to expand there as well. So, um, there were co comics during the pandemic who were Canadian who reached out to us and there were recipients of our grant. So we're slowly like infiltrating Canada as well as we are in the States. Not everybody knows about us yet. And that's our job to really go on these podcasts and get our name out there. And it's twofold. It's one going out to the public because we're not for profit and we're constantly fundraising. And the other thing is getting to the comics to know that we're there for them as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, forward facing and inward facing. I will, I will say, you know, when we were in Montreal where we met you, Chad, and uh, Amber, Jay and I were at Moon Tower before that, and all three of us were at Netflix, really what, and that's not in just a one Canadian portion of that question to or answer to you, the question is comics, wherever they were from, we would meet them just in a social situation like we met you. And we'd be like, hey, I'm Zoe from Comedy Gets Back. Oh my God, you saved my ass during pandemic. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you helped my friend. Oh my God, thank you for doing the Zooms. Like, you know, we gave, you know, we know a lot of comics. We gave money to comics. Obviously we don't know in countries we don't, you know, like as far and wide as made sense, as long as they were qualifying under pandemic, you know, we have to kind of keep to the criteria. It's all transparent out there. But like to get that reflection, wherever it came from, but we definitely helped Canadian comedians and we want to be in the club circuit up there. We see North America as sort of a, you know, one in the same in the English being North American territory. We should all be together. However, you know, in Canada, there's so many better social services for artists. And I remember when I was doing the 15 minute power broker a number of years ago, there was a Canadian woman. We had been doing comedy gives back, maybe just started as the new thing, or maybe the old in incarnation. And she said, she's trying to get 
the status of the comedian changed to artist so they don't have to lie and when they apply for grants and subsidies from the government they don't have to say like their comedy show oh it was a one-person show you know they can say I'm a comic and I do a one-hour show and that should be the same equivalent to somebody who does a one-person show or what you know what I'm so changing their status also I don't know if that ever went through but that's something that we realized the comedians are not considered artists with the big A and a lot of, and that's changing for sure. Uh, and that's part of the shift because I think people realize and God knows, don't we all need comedy now more than ever? Absolutely. And that I did an episode of my podcast previously um, and it was Julia DeBruzen, who is a liberal MP, I think in Kitchener, Waterloo. And it did go through as a bill that uh, comedians are now um, way too, uh, some too late for some, you know, years and years too late, because I think that just happened uh, in January of this year. So well, thanks for the update. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you knew that. Yeah. And the Adam Grow was was big on that, too. So um, and he, he was on the show as well. I just have some personal comedy questions. They're kind of uh, away from, but just uh, questions of interest to me. Uh, Zoe, you worked for, for Letterman booking comedians for years. Uh, some of the names, Jim Gaffigan, Mitch Hedberg. Who was the one comedian where you were like, oh, this person instantly has it that kind of blew you away in their Letterman performance? Who would be your... Well, I will say the Jim Gaffigan experience was one that was like, so exciting because it happened so instantaneously. So I did a week of network television debuts, which in the year that was, which we can look up easily, I don't have it off the top of my head, was not like super easy because there were a lot of Comedy Central and cable people doing television debuts. So it was sort of network television debut, a debut. So you're tr right, we're trying to brand a whole week of these. So the, I won't say who's on that week, but they didn't go terribly well. They were okay, but it was it was hard to book five like Letterman type comedian, right? He was so mm -hmm. specific. It was a monologist. It was the Jake Johansson. It was, you know, the big physical comedian, like the, you know, Jim Carrey of it all. Like that's not his cup of tea, right? So it's like five minutes. Anyway, so I booked my network debut week. And again, a little shaky, a little worried for my job. And then Jim Gaffigan <laughs> was on the last night. And he, I mean you know, knocked it out of the ballpark, that metaphor. And uh, instantly I got a call from Rob Burnett, who was the producer at the time, come up, bring Jim. So his manager at the time, Maureen Taran and I, who we worked a lot together on comedians because she worked for Barry Katz. And at the time, Barry was one of the top comedy managers in New York and Dave Chappelle and Neil, Brent, you know, um, and, um, we went up to, you know, we got called up to the principal's office and it was like, hey, we want to make a deal with Jim for Worldwide Pants. Like that to me was, wow. oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in, and I, I was like, oh, I'm in entertainment. You know, I, I know development and like, look what I, you know, so I, I soon applied for a development job at Worldwide Pants, which they quickly denied me. But I thought I, <laughs> I, I thought I knew what development was because I had picked comedians that went on to have, you know, but there's so much more to it. It's, it, it, look, if you don't have that, you can't do the other, or maybe, I don't know if you have good taste. I was hired at Comedy Central because of my taste. I'd never done development, but the boss was like one of those people who uses their hunch and their instinct rather than yeah. 
this person's never done it before. So whatever. But anyway, that was like, that was memorable beyond anything because I felt like, and it was so instant. Like we got called up for good, not because we got in trouble with the principal. And um, yeah, that was really fun. And like Mitch Hedberg was also a huge success for me because my predecessor felt he was a little bit too weird for Dave. And, you know, he was kind of coming on the scene, but for me, he was like right in the sweet spot. And Dave thought so too. And that's exciting because, you know, to get it right for Dave. Amber J, I, I have this question that I keep bringing to people who are Second City alumni, um, and that's doing improv and taking those classes. Um, how does the, uh, taking those classes, being being a member of Second City, prepare you for life, uh, like for yourself in business, creating business? Like what, how do you take those skills to a boardroom, for example? First of all, it should be, Emotional intelligence training and improv should be standardized processes in education. Absolutely. I said it and I'm not taking it back. <laughs> I, the whole foundation of improv is yes anding. If you want to create a cooperative work environment, which is actually very feminine. The feminine wants to create in community. It is, and that was actually a big distinction at Second City. We had stand-ups who were in improv to kind of break them of the habit of always taking the mic or taking the 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 layup versus working as a team and and all boats rise, uh, which is a perfect tool and support for any organization, any job, any family, any community, right? Yes, and yes, and I would like to add my special sauce to that. Yes, I would, yes, and what if we added sparkle ponies? Yes, and, right? So it, it is about teamwork, uh, adding to not tearing down which couldn't our society use more of that today? Absolutely. It's funny, Jen Candy said the exact same thing to me. She said the, the improv training should be standard for high school kids across the board. Um, it, it so many life skills involved in that. Well, and, you know, we kind of get it beat out of us in school and in society to, to have the perfect thing to say or behave a certain way. And, improv allows you to trust your gut and your intuition and to say things even if they're scary in the moment and wouldn't our society be better if we actually came from our truth as opposed to what we think others want to hear from us or what uh, we're supposed to do or say and and not be afraid of failure right like i've seen Colin Mockery do improv and, and fail on, yes. you know, flat on his face on a joke and yeah. Just blow up. But, you know, I was at Improv Olympic when, um, when UCB was, a, was a team, you see the Upright Citizens Brigade was a team and I would open for them. I would be the, the like host of the show. And, uh, and sometimes it would crash and burn Right. There would still be funny moments, but they but we would do the Herald, the long form comedy and uh, the long form improv. And when a Herald would work, 
it blew my mind. <laughs> it was so magical to see like all the threads come back together. That to me, I get goosebumps. It was it's just genius. And that's what's available. That's what humans can do. It's cool. Jody, you uh, were with Just for Laughs for, for years and, and producing a live events, everything. And Canadians, I think when I tell them I went to Just for Laughs, they, they only know it as this TV show. It's on CBC. Industry people know it so much more. But what was it like seeing Just for Laughs just grow in your time there to the, to the event it is uh, it, today and so nationally known across the board? I mean, it's been amazing. I was there, um, I think my first summer was there at the 11th festival. So I started when I was 10. <laughs> um, and to watch it grow and become what it is today is incredible. And I'm so happy that I was part of it for, you know, 14 years as a producer of the event. And then for the last couple of years, always having clients there as a manager. And it's just great to see how many people have blown up, how many people have gone on to huge careers from Kevin Hart being a new face. I remember Bill Burr being there, um, you know, as a young kid with curly red hair, um, like Zoe spoke about, Dimitri Martin. And then there's all the Canadians that have been there, you know, the Jeremy Hotzes and, um, you know, bringing back some other gala hosts. The, this hour has 24 minutes. And, you know, it was just so great seeing all these people start off at New Faces and then actually hosting galas years later and watching also, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, people getting these huge development deals. And then all of a sudden you see them on the stage of Just for Laughs, you know, Tim Allen doing his tool time on stage to a few years later having a TV show. And the same thing with Ray Romano and Kevin James, they were all at the festival right before they had their, you know, their successful sitcoms. So it was great seeing how those things went from having that perspective to um, translating it and developing it into a TV show. So there's just such a long lineage of history. And then, you know, why I think Comedy Goes Back is so important. There's been so many people that we've lost over the years um, to, you know, mental health and suicide, you know, illness also. And, you know, we want to really be there for the, for the comedian and for the comedian and for the world. And it's become such a big thing. Comedians used to be like, oh, they're a stand-up comic. They're going to go out and perform. And now they're like rock star status. Mm -hmm. So it's been really nice to see the whole history of comedy basically over the last three decades almost so prideful that it's in Canada too. Like when all that good, good stuff is happening at just for last. Okay. Yes. One more, one more question before um, I let you guys go. It's a question I ask everybody is who do you think should be in the Canadian comedy hall of fame? So your favorite Canadian comedy producer, writer, um, who do you think should be in the hall of fame? We already have some names in the hall of fame. Obviously you don't know all the names in there, but uh, I'll let you know if you've already picked one. So Jody, as the uh, resident Canadian, would you like to go first? I I'm sure he's there. Um, Martin Short. Martin Short. So he's nominated this year. So he will he will get in this year, I'm sure. Um, but Martin Short is definitely one for sure. And and actually the whole cast of SCTV is is nominated this year for uh, all, their all their comp all their Can I ask you a question? Who's sure. in how many people have been inducted? Because I know it's a relatively new 
Um, yeah, so it started. Or, I mean, it's been around for a while. So how many people are inducted? So it started in 2000, actually. Um, and the, the cast of the Royal Canadian Air Force has been. Uh, John Canny has been inducted. Uh, Rich Little is in. Uh, Wayne and Schuster. But then it took like a 15-year break. So this is the first year where we're inducting a full class of, of nominees. Norm McDonald and Mike McDonald are the two that have already been announced. Amber J, who, who's your Canadian that that you think should be in the Hall of Fame. Alanis Morissette, does she count? I think so. I just actually saw her in concert like a month ago and she was funny on stage, so absolutely. <laughs> Very funny, she's a funny- Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Talk about is the National Lampoon Lemmings. You know, I remounted the National mm-hmm. Lampoon Lemmings with the guys from Workaholics. They weren't the guys from Workaholics at the time. And uh, having that idea of the Lemmings and the players, the uh, Belushi and Ackroyd, was Ackroyd in the Lemmings? It was, it was Chase in the Lemmings, you know, like. Uh, yeah, I think John then, Candy was. Um, Gilda. And then Lauren, yeah. Lauren came in and swooped him up and made Saturday Night Live. So, yeah. you know, giving the Lampoon its, its, its Canadian legacy. Zoe, what about you, Canadians? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I saw on the list, Lauren Michaels, like that seems Mm -hmm. to me, I mean, in winning a show that wins a best Emmy 45 years later is, I mean, that is unheard of and I mean, amazing. And I think he's probably in there already, but I also love the Ivan Reitman sort of posthumously, you know, um, right. Uh, yeah, Ivan Reitman. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he's it. nominated this year as well. Oh, okay. I mean, Ghostbusters yeah. and all the yeah. great movies. And I was um, going to say Catherine O'Hara, but that's a Second City thing. It, right? And she's actually nominated uh, Solo as well uh, this year, Catherine O'Hara. So, that's who I yeah. would. That's what yeah. going, That's who I immediately thought of. I just, I just love the love, and I'm sure there's other people like you know, but I'm just, I'd have to. I don't. Know, sorry. It, I, it, Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that was great. Right, Thank, yeah. Thanks a lot for, for coming on. I, uh, I really appreciate all, all of your time and yeah, that was, that was great. And I appreciate all the work that uh, comedy gives back does. And thanks. Bye. Once again, I can't stress this enough. Comedygivesback.com. They do so much good work for people in the comedy industry. And if you can donate banner top of the homepage and click the donate button all the proceeds go to support programs that help comedians and and every little bit helps very very exciting stuff and they have lots of events and shows that they put on so check out their website for all the information that they have thanks to zoe thanks to jody and thanks to amber J for joining me i really appreciate it Once again, thanks to the Television Academy for letting me do press virtually at the Emmys. It was it was super fun. I I loved it. Uh, I hope to be back next year. Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame dot com is where you go for all things Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. Our announcements are coming. Uh, The nominee list is still out there and very soon we'll be telling you who will be inducted in this year's Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame ceremony. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for more episodes of this podcast. Follow us on social media for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Chad Noonan.